welcome to The Resistors, a podcast where we talk to all the people trying to save us from Donald Trump. I'm your host, Chris Faith. So this was a fun episode to record. I got to sit down with a few of the women behind the Resistance Revival Chorus. This brand new diverse collective of more than 50 women grew out of the Women's March, forming just a little more than a month ago, to bring song and spirit to the present day protest movement. I got to see them sing live in New York at their first performance last month, and I literally ran up to them right afterward asking could they please, please, please be on this podcast. In their day jobs, Paula Mendoza, Ginny Suss, and Sarah Sophie Flicker each wear many hats, and I'm just going to scratch the surface here with their bios because they're definitely some of the busiest people I've met. But Paula is a filmmaker, writer, director, co-founder of the Sose Creative Agency, and a mom. Ginny co-leads OK Player and OK Africa, the websites that she helped found with Questlove from the Roots. And Sarah Sophie is an activist, mom, producer, writer, filmmaker, and more, who founded the political cabaret group The Citizens Band and a bunch of other creative projects. And the thing that connects them all, they each played lead roles in producing the historic Women's March back in January. It is great to see you all. I know it's a challenge just to coordinate your schedules, and I cannot imagine what it takes to assemble the whole chorus. But I wanted to start by saying that I first discovered the chorus with the now famous video of your performance in Times Square. And then when I saw you live um, at your first show in New York, I had that feeling that maybe people during the civil rights movement would have at a mass meeting a half century ago, um, where the room just channeled so much of the emotion, the pain, and also the very bright spirit of resistance that has defined much of this year. I wonder if you could each talk for a moment about how you came to the Women's March back in January and then to the chorus more recently. Thank you for having us. We're very excited to be here. Um, this is Paola. I came to the Women's March um, kind of not by accident, but I was never an organizer before the Women's March. I am a filmmaker, a writer, and a director, and my films definitely uh, have been steeped, and and the foundation of them is within the resistance or within activism, within social movements. Um, my films all deal with uh, immigration, particularly undocumented immigration. And so after the election... Um, I reached out to my friend, Carmen Perez, who's one of the, was one of the co-chairs of the Women's March. And I told her that I needed to get down with this thing that was happening online, which was the Women's March. Um, and I told her, I was like, I don't, I've never organized per se, but I'm a writer, a director, a producer, and I can get shit done. So let's see what I can get done. And, um, she and I started working together very, very closely on partnerships. So she and I were partners on bringing in partners across the country, and we brought in over 520 organizations to partner. And then I also worked very closely with Ginny um, and Sarah Sophie uh, around organizing artists. Uh, as an artist, I felt very passionate about making sure that artists were represented. And so we worked together on the artist table as well as producing the show and now the chorus. I'm Ginny. In my other day job life, <laughs> I work uh, for two media platforms. One of them is OK Player and one of them is OK Africa. So I created OK Africa about six and a half years ago with my business partner, Vanessa Rubel. And these are two media platforms that are really dedicated to elevating unheard voices, to creating platforms for music, um, 
for musicians and creatives who are often overlooked by the mainstream media or taking a more nuanced view of those artists who are more popular in the mainstream media. Um, and when, after the election, I, like everyone else, was devastated um, at 45's win and, you know, um, wanted to jump to action. And so my, my business partner, Vanessa Rubel, um, reached out and told me about this thing that was bubbling online uh, that was going to be a march, of uh, a women's march. Um, and it was before it even had a name. Um, and I jumped in and I said, absolutely, I'm 100% there. And it was sort of the most natural fit for my engagement was um, on the producer side. I, in my in my day job and throughout throughout my career, have produced really large scale events, really small scale events, tons of video, and um, that's kind of an area of expertise. So, um, sort of elevating the voices of musicians and thinking about um, the unity principles of the Women's March and the idea of intersectionality when we thought about programming the music and the art, not just um, the speakers was really important to me. So that's that was sort of how I I joined with the march and one of my missions. Hi, it's Sarah Sophie Flicker. Um, so I came on board the same time these two badasses did. Um, I had I I come from the cultural political activisty sphere and I've done everything from political cabarets of the creative director of something called the citizens band um as well as media content filmmaking events um you know all with a social justice political bend to them and uh so i i knew uh tamika and linda and i came in i think the first week of when everyone was organizing together. And so I did everything from work with these two on the artist table, and I work really closely with our social media team and our comms team and worked a little on partnerships. And and we all thought we would be finished on January 22nd, and here we all are. We were all together working together yesterday, and I was like, remember when everyone said we were going to shut down our social media channels? A week after the march, well, here we are. And look what you unleashed. Yeah. I've been talking to other marches, like the Tax March and the March for Science, and I think many of them look to the Women's March. The model of sister marches that you seem, I think you pioneered, or at least you pulled off really successfully, where finally you didn't have to make the trip to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. to participate. And I think you had, you had hundreds involving millions of women and allies around the world. The Women's March, the idea of the Women's March uh, was created by a grandmother in Hawaii who had never organized before in her life. And she, out of passion, despair, anger, hope, and vision, posted on Facebook that she was going to march on January 21st on the Washington Mall um, against Donald Trump. And she put it on Facebook and then went to sleep. And that post was then posted on various people's pages and Pantsuit Nation and all over the place. And when she woke up the next morning, she had like tens and thousands of people that had already RSVP'd to this thing that she had just thought of in the moment. Um, and she, I think also it speaks to who she is, realized that this was not what she really wanted to do, that she 
didn't know what she was doing, and she handed it off not to organizers. She handed it off to Bob Bland, to Vanessa Rubble, to Ginny, um, to women that necessarily hadn't organized on the ground, um, but had been very successful in their own lives. And and again, I think it goes to the story of you don't have to be a seasoned activist to create change. What you need to do is you need to have passion and vision and compassion and humbleness. And, and, and those groups of women then reached out to more seasoned activists and said, come be with us and, and let's do this together. And I think what was successful about the Women's March was that it was a combination of both seasoned activists as well as women that had not organized but had ideas and vision and, and, and those two worlds coming together created something that had never been done before. Neither group could have done it without the other. And that's, that's the beauty and the important thing. And I think it, it, it is a reflection of exactly where we needed to be, uh, to be able to resist this president because we are seeing things from a president standpoint that we have never seen before. So we are constantly having to change our tactics and create new ways of fighting and being in the resistance. And, and it's all of those people that are able to do that. You've done a lot since then. The March 8th strike, you've taken on the NRA, and then you launched this chorus. And I'm wondering, was the idea for the chorus born during the, the march itself, or did it just come about? It was Sarah <laughs> Sophie Flicker's idea. Thank you, Sarah Sophie Flicker. I'll, I'll, amazing. Say, I'll just say this. We knew this was going to be bad. We knew this administration was going to be bad. I think that, um, and, and no one is shocked by what's happening, but it's definitely worse than we thought it would be. So by month two, I just kept saying, like, we need some joy in here. We need to, you know, we and... And I knew that people needed a break, and I knew that there were a lot of people who had never been in this space before. And, and I just remember that day before the march, we were so lucky because we were sort of couched in this cushion of, of organizing. I remember my husband saying, you know, he was driving to to meet us at the march with my kids, and he was trying to hide from them that he was just, like, crying as he was listening to the radio. And we, we were... Um, Really, we were saved from that because we were so busy and we were, we had, you know, this thing we were doing. But I do remember how mad 45 seemed and they all seemed that they could not get any artists to perform at that inauguration. Like nobody. And we were, you know, having to sadly like turn people that we loved away because we did not have enough time and space and, you know, wanted to, to center, um, activists and newer organizations on our stage as well so we were having to turn artists away and I just kept thinking like there's something here you know and we have culture on our side we have art on our side we have creativity on our side we have to harness this and you know people are not we are not meant to just fight all the time. Sarah Sophie had this amazing idea and a group of women came together and it's six of us total that are are founders, for the lack of a better word, that came together one night at Sarah Sophie's house and said, you know, Sarah has this idea. What is the idea? What does it look like? And we all threw in our, 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 our concepts, our dreams. We put out a date of where we, you know, we wanted to perform by the end of the month. We wanted to have it at this venue. 
Ginny had reached out to people online and she had like 20, 30 people and it was amazing that it was coming together. And then this idea of a name came out. Like, so what are we going to be called? Like, yes, we want the resistance. And, and it's this idea of, of like birth and feeling good and joy as a resistance. And Nalini Stamp, she was like, well, let's, let's kind of like look through the dictionary, I remember. And she looked up revival and that was exactly what it was. It was to revive our spirits. Um, to give us strength and power and beauty in, 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 in this time. And so the, the important thing for us is that this resistance revival course doesn't just stay here in New York City. We have a toolkit that we've put together that will be on our Facebook page within the next week or two that is, explains how to create your own resistance revival courses across the country um, and what they mean and what's the purpose and some songs and some histories and signing on to the unity principles of the Women's March to make sure that the courses are all aligned with a single vision. And in the long run, it would be amazing to be able to organize nationally with these courses. And we're going to protests, we're going to do performances, um, we're going to be doing civil disobediences in senators' offices and at, in Washington, D.C. And we have all of these dreams because, as Mr. Belafonte says, who, who has been very instrumental, obviously, to the civil rights movement, but also to our movement because our headquarters were in his office and he, he, he's come and sat with us and talked to us. And one of my favorite quotes that he says is, when the movement is strong, the music is strong. And that is where we are right now. Our movement is really strong. And our music is also strong and our music is all arts. And it, this is a culture war. This is not a policy war. And art is about changing hearts and protecting the heart. And so that is also part of the resistance revival course to get into people's hearts. So I posted this. I sent emails around to a couple friends. I've worked in the music industry for years and years and I've put together a lot of shows. So I know a lot of incredible musicians. And I posted this on Facebook and I thought to myself, as often happens when you reach out to musicians for something that's for a cause or for like a nonprofit, say, something that's like not necessarily going to be a paid opportunity. It's often like, you know, it's often not easy to get people to jump on board. You have to do some work. You have to convince them about your cause or let them, you know, approach them with some passion about what you're doing. I posted this. I think I went to sleep the next morning. I had like, you know, I, I, I had probably over 100 replies. Um, we now have 80-plus women who are on our email thread um, inside. The, they're actually part of the chorus. Um, that We haven't all been able to be together at the same time. A lot of these are working musicians and touring musicians, people who are away for the summer. But um, that's how many women are interested in being part of this. People have been showing up, people who have never sang professionally before, who are part of the chorus now, who have incredible voices, have come to me and said, this is so easy. This is so beautiful. This is reinvigorating me. But the fact that they call it easy, I just need to pause and say to them, this is not how all musical acts are. Like, this is not the, the norm in terms of the experience in the music industry. Usually it's really not this seamless, but it's pretty um, magical the way people are turning up because everyone wants to do something right now. They want to be involved. They want to be active. They want to be a part of the resistance. And everyone, I think, is feeling the sense of being really beaten down by the negative news every day and wanting to create community and create a space where they can come together in joy as a form of resistance, where they can, you know, our vision for this is that these women can songwrite so we can create new protest songs. We want to give birth to, you know, the songs of the movement. And, um, 
So right now we've been covering some traditional protest songs that are so inspiring and uplifting, but we're slowly getting original work from members in our chorus um, in that we will be singing. So we're really excited for that. Sometimes people underestimate the power of music and art to transform to transform minds, to transform feelings. And I think that that was such an essential piece of the civil rights movement when you look back, for example. And um, I think we looked out and we see these amazing marches happening all over the country and there's a component that's a little bit missing. People are chanting, but they're not singing. So we're hoping to create and reinvigorate the spirit of song um, within the movement. When Paolo was talking about the name Resistance Revival um, Chorus, we also came up with a tagline and I think Nalini came up with the, this idea as well, which was a restoration of force. So our tagline is, it's Resistance Revival Chorus, a restoration of force. And I think that really speaks to the power of what we're trying to bring, um, bring with our music. And we'll talk with Nalini. I know she couldn't make it tonight and we're sending her our best, but she delivered such a powerful performance back in July at the concert where she really walked the audience through this musical tour of resistance. Freedom 
one of the beginnings of her resistance. So let's not pretend that this resistance is new. songs early in the concert was Ella's song, We Who Believe in Freedom Cannot Rest. Many years ago, I spent a day with a civil rights legend named Hollis Watkins down in Jackson, Mississippi, who was one of the freedom singers with SNCC. And he was only, I think, 16 or 17 when he joined. And now he was an old man, but he led us in song. And that was one of the songs that he sang. So there's a little bit um, of a history here to, to that sort of predates the us putting together the Resistance Revival Chorus, which is that I brought on Toshi Regan to be the musical director of the stage at the Women's March. So the Women's March on January 21st, it was really important to me to center that stage with um, strong female musicians. And um, Toshi was perfect to lead that charge. So she brought in her band, and they were just the most kick-ass band you've ever heard. But Toshi's history is really interesting. She's one of the most remarkable activists um, I've been lucky enough to know and meet and talk with and call a dear friend in my life. And she's just inspiring beyond belief in her own work and her own music. Um, but she comes from a legacy of activists. So her mother is Dr. Bernice Regan, who was a uh, founding member of Sweet Honey in the Rock. She was also part of the Freedom Singers. So Toshi reworked her mother's song, Ella's song, from Sweet Honey in the Rock, to create the version that we sung at the Women's March in Washington. That song is now one of the first songs we learned with the Resistance Revival Chorus. So we created some harmonies, and um, it's just a really beautiful um, message that gets at the core of you know everything that we're about and that we stand for. So we have to thank Toshi for that legacy. Um, she also, I mean, you know, she has um, such a rich history. Her godfather was Pete Seeger, who sort of gave birth to so many of the iconic and epic um, protest songs that we know today. And that's really cool how you're reaching back through history, but also creating new songs. And is the, the anthem of the chorus, is that something that you wrote? And Nalini, again, she was a, a huge organizer at Occupy. and um, And I remember... Two days after the election, uh, Paula and Michael called me on November 9th and said, now is our time to lead. 
Michael Skolnick, who's Paola's partner. And uh, so we had a meeting at my house on the Thursday after the election. And Nalini was there. So this song, at every... At every rally, at every protest, at every march you go to, there will be Nalini with a bullhorn singing. And so she was the first person that I was like, Nalini, <laughs> like, we have to do something with music. And, you know, and then as we were discussing it, and I feel like it was really after the day without a woman that she and I really, you know, started knocking heads about this. And um, she just has such a gorgeous voice and what comes out of her is just, you know, with um, a timber and a resonance that is so powerful. And I remember the song, you know, the, the song I went down to the rich man's house. And, um, and so the night we were all at our house organizing, she started singing that song and we were like, that is it. But we, you know, she helped us change the lyrics. So we changed the last chorus to white house and um, I think that's really resonated with people. But, you know, that song came from Nalini. It is an old, it's an old labor organizing song as far as I understand it. What you talked about earlier about spreading this message and creating the toolkit, this is already happening organically, which is so exciting for us. So I was just in conversation with a woman I met the other day who lives in Vancouver. And she has a choir. And they saw the video. And she showed me the email that uh, a member of the choir sent around and said, look at this video that the Resistance Revival Chorus did. We should cover this song. And so they started singing our version of Went Down to the Courthouse um, based off the video from Times Square that we created. So the message is spreading and we're connected to these communities, you know? Are there influences for each of you that you brought to the march or the chorus where there are really connections between the arts and the activism? I think absolutely. I there's. I don't believe in art for art's sake. I don't have the privilege as a woman of color, as an immigrant in this country, to just create art for art's sake. I I come from. The ability to create art, for me, is the responsibility to tell the stories of those that I grew up with that are often silenced, that are often forgotten about, that are often ignored, and 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 we look back at the history of artists and. I come, I, as an artist, not because I'm connected to them, come, artists come from a long line of brave, courageous, uh, visionary people because art, particularly in times of darkness, we, art should not be a mirror that reflects reality. Art is actually a hammer with which, we, with which we want to create the world that we want. Um, and we can look back to history to see that. Paul Robeson, uh, also one of my heroes, a great artist, uh, a great activist um, who literally gave his life and and his his joy um, for the struggle said that artists are the gatekeepers of truth. We are civilization's most radical voices, and that is 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 a responsibility that I personally take to heart. And he did that. And also, we look to Mr. Harry Belafonte, who was in many ways, the foundation to the civil rights movement. Um, and I think it's something that hasn't been talked about enough, actually, what Mr. B did for the civil rights movement. He would create art and make money and give it to the civil rights movement, give it to SNCC. Um, and, and, and he financed and bankrolled a lot of the civil rights movement on his own to be able to get to where we are today. Um, also, Dolores Huerta, uh, an activist that gave 
sacrificed so much. Her children, she had 11 children, and, and yet she was able to uh, lead a boycott with 16 million people that refused to eat grapes for years and years in order to give rights to the most vulnerable in this country at that time, which were the farm workers. And her heart and her passion and her love was dance and music. You know, she said if she couldn't, if she wouldn't have been an organizer, she would have been a dancer. And so we see that with that, an artist and an activist are really in many ways so connected. And, and so it, it is an honor to be able to be an artist. It is a privilege that I take very seriously. And, and I, and I love the fact that I am an artist. And also to be an activist is a, is a responsibility for for the love of where we are, for the love of our country, for the love of our people, for the love of freedom, and for the love of democracy. And we have seen artists step up. Um, we have seen artists come to the forefront and, and, and potentially sacrifice incomes and sacrifice money and sacrifice safety uh, because of what they believe in. And, and that's been very inspiring. You know, I think the resistance revival stuff has taken us all a little bit by surprise and it's all a little bit new, but um, we're really trying to incorporate it into all the activism that we're doing at Women's March. So, you know, we're trying to quickly pull together um, the chorus for tomorrow's support of Colin Kaepernick. Even when we were organizing the march, there would be times at like 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night where Carmen and Paolo would be like, we've got to put some music on and we've got to dance and we've got to sing. And, you know, that certainly sustained us and 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 in particular Carmen and Paola in those long nights. So Gloria Steinem also visited our our office that Mr. B so generously provided for us leading up to the march. And um at one point I remember we were all speaking with her and she asked us to stop and look around and she said, look around because these people will become your family. You know, and at this point we'd all some of us had known each other for a while, some of us had not known each other for more than a few weeks. And she said, this will become your family because that's what movements do. And um, so, you know, when it comes to standing with Linda or showing up and marching with Tamika from the NRA to the DOJ, whatever it is, um, we are a family. And um, I will show up for my sisters. They all get attacked in a way that I won't. So what's next for the course? You have a performance coming up soon? We have our next Resistance Revival night at Rockwood Music Hall, stage number two, on Monday, August 28th at 8 o'clock p.m. Um, please come join us. Within the next week or two, we'll have a toolkit available on the Resistance Revival Chorus web uh, Facebook page. So you can, you can check that out, download it for yourself, and start your own Resistance Revival Chorus start booking your own gigs and showing up to protests. Um, we also have the Resistance Revival Chorus has an event on September 23rd at Le Poisson Rouge, another one of our Resistance Revival Nights. This one's in collaboration with Toshi Regan's Word Rock Sword Festival, which is a festival celebrating women in music. So that's, that's another chance for you to see us live and in person. We just started our social media channels. So in less than 24 hours, we have over 3,000 followers on Twitter. Just like woo, the Women's woo, March. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, that's Alyssa Klein, who is the mastermind, brilliant person behind not only Women's March social media, but our social media as well. Um, and it's very important to say because she has created a platform for the Women's March and now for us that is 
powerful. Um, so you can always follow us on, on, uh, Twitter, which is resistance rev. Um, we're on Instagram and we're on Facebook, but also through that, we found out that there was a Detroit course that just kind of sprang up on its own inspired and a Chicago one. So they are starting to be inspired and to do their thing. And that's, that's the idea that we want is that people take what we created this idea and then make it their own. And I assume we'll start seeing evidence of that and um, people sharing videos. I did want to ask about the Times Square performance, the very first video that I saw. Were you all there? And what was that uh -huh. like? Because it seemed like hundreds or thousands of, I would guess, mostly tourists because of the neighborhood that you were performing in, probably from all over the country. So that idea also kind of sprang up just randomly that... We were like, let's just do that this. That was Paola Mendoza's idea. She is a filmmaker. She said, let's make a video. My idea is Times Square. So just giving her the props for that. Thanks. We wanted to do a flash mob in Times Square. And Times Square was a very particular location. We wanted to be in a place that it was New York, but people from all around the country. And we wanted to go in there dressed in all white. That was literally our first performance. Um, and we wanted to go there and we wanted it to shock people about what was going on, but also to say these women, these diverse group of women are, are, are speaking for everybody and the things that we want. We want, we want, we don't want to be oppressed. We want dignity. We want hum our humanity back. Um, and it was, we, the funny story about this is that our rehearsal space was 11 blocks away. So we had 30 women lined up in a single file line for 11 blocks and we filmed the whole thing. It was actually quite hilarious. <laughs> um, and then when we got to the Times Square area, we just magically had three rows ready for us and it was a beautiful um, experience. And I think the fact that the video did so well that it, 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 it went viral um, is speaks to the necessity and the desire and the yearning for music. I also think to Paola's point, when we're talking about a culture war, um, you know, sometimes in these moments we can, we can win hearts and minds a little bit more easily with music and art, you know, than we can with um, marching sometimes. The other thing I, I wanted to add was with the resistance revival nights specifically it's not just the choruses that perform and so our audiences are treated to these incredible performers who they might not see otherwise and i think we're so used to uh, you know uplifting celebrities and famous people and that's great and there's room for that as well but i love uplifting you know women musicians who who don't necessarily have the same platform as other people and their work is just so incredible. And so the night you saw, that was a lot, of, that was our first time um, hearing some of these songs and these people perform. And, you know, like every performance was stellar. So when we make these toolkits, we're also hoping across the country that people have these nights and, you know, just come in and pay tribute to the music of the past and create some music for the future. I remember from that night, the um, Say Her Name performance. Oh, Abby, Abby Dobson commemorating Sandra Bland and victims of police brutality. It was like, again, goosebumps. And a lot of these artists have been working in and around New York for years and have kind of a name here. Some are very unknown emerging artists. Some, a majority of the chorus is really like 
um, that film, 20 Feet from Stardom. I don't know if you've seen yes. it, but we yeah. have um, so many women who sing backup for from Mark Anthony to Moby to Chick Chick Chick. They're, they're back, backup singers um, to The Roots. We have um, all kinds of singers who are sort of professional background vocalists who have their own projects that maybe aren't as well known, but they are just show-stopping, stunning performers. So they get an opportunity um, with the chorus to kind of showcase what they're working on um, and bring it to the table. And then we have some performance art too. We have a singer, Amy Leon, who's just stunning, who um, takes it beyond just... It's not, you know, your standard fare, just singer-songwriter, singer-songwriter. We try to mix it up. And she's like a real performance artist who brings a bit of theater um, to the night. You can catch her at our gig at Le Poisson Rouge, <laughs> September 23rd, with Toshi Regan's Word Rock Sword. She'll be performing there as well. But we, you know, I think the other thing is we already have some celebrities who are part of the chorus. They're in the chorus, yep. singing with us, beside us, beside, you know, um, all of these beautiful, amazing women. And we're, you know, our goal is just to not center voices of celebrity, you know, so, and they haven't um, been interested in that either, um, to be honest. So it's been a really nice uh, marriage of just incredible talent. And that's why we're billing all of these nights as the resistance revival nights, but we're not um, giving you the lineup. So you have to come and you never know who you're going to see perform. Usually it'll be at least about half from the chorus and half new female identified musicians who we pull in to perform. When we bring people into the space, also part of the evening is educating people. So, you know, one of the things that we did and that we'll continue to do is the successes that the resistance has had and listing those things because we are, this world is so crazy and every day is bananas that we forget like that we won from the last course to this course. So a month, we beat back healthcare right? Like that's a huge win. And now we're not even thinking about healthcare because now we're thinking about Afghanistan. We're thinking about Charlottesville and like healthcare seems so far away, but it's very important to, to list those wins. So we see that our power and our ability is, is, is important and impactful and, and also educating people on specific issues. And so we are definitely mixing music and education and bringing a place where, where folks can, can learn about the resistance firsthand. Paula, we saw some artists take bold action, I think, last week. Uh, they resigned from the President's Council mm -hmm. on the Arts and Humanities. And I saw an open letter that you wrote to the artistic community. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so I had been thinking about this. I was on vacation in Greece. And I had been thinking about this idea that it was right after Charlottesville that artists could not go to the White House. It was just impossible. Um, and I wanted to, to write an open letter to boycott the White House. And then the, both Norman Lear and Carmen de la Levaja, um, said that they were not going to go to the reception at the White House for the Kennedy Center honors. And I was like, yes, that's what we needed. And then those artists from the Presidential Council of the Arts all resigned in, in unison, spelling out the word resist in their resignation letter, which was brilliant cool. and so creative because they're artists. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, this is the moment where 
I'm going to ask something of artists, which is the easiest, most obvious ask. And I, I wrote a letter very quickly. Like I literally did it in 30 minutes and I put it up and I just put my name out there and I was like, okay, who am I going to get out there? And so far we have over 40 artists that have committed to boycotting the art, to, to boycotting, to not going to the White House, not stepping foot in the White House until Donald Trump is no longer president. And I'm talking about very big artists. We have Mark Ruffalo. We have Jill Soloway. We have Deborah Messing. We have my dear friend, an incredible cinematographer who's been nominated for two Academy Awards, Bradford Young. We have Carrie Fukunaga, who's an incredible uh, uh, director. We have Edward Norton. We have Mara Hoffman. We have, I don't even know. So it's, 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 it's been very exciting to see these artists come together and take a stand. And, and also it's something that I hope and we hope will continue to grow again, the artistic community coming together and saying, we understand that we are part of the resistance. And in my eyes, leading the resistance in many ways. And, and in that leadership comes great responsibility. I just want to say one thing about Miss Ginny Sus. Ginny is the glue that puts this whole thing together. And I think that that's really important to say um, because she is the musical one out of all of us. Um, and, and, and she, without her, this course could not happen. And without her, we would not have our extraordinary musical director, Abena Kumsen. Um, and, and so Ginny is really leading the charge in the musical aspect of this. And I think that, it's, it's important to note the work that is being done um, and the reasons why we're, why we're doing it and, and give love and respect to those people that are doing that. Paola, Jenny, and Sarah Sophie, I wanted to thank you all for taking the time. I know you have day jobs and then night jobs with this project, and I really appreciate it. And you inspire all of us, and you're lifting a lot of people's spirits in this Trump era and in these times. Thank you. Thank you. So much, to keep this... Me to get back, 
does it for this episode of The Resistors. Thanks for listening and thanks so much to Paola, Sarah Sophie, and Ginny for joining us. You can connect with the Resistance Revival Chorus on Facebook and Twitter at Resistance Rev. You can also listen to more episodes of The Resistors on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you know someone who should be a guest on a future episode, connect with us at theresistors.co.